When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester United showed ruthless precision in a fixture once famous for its intensity but that for many years had declined into irrelevance. A 3-1 victory over Arsenal thanks to a double from Marcus Rashford following up on his goal against Liverpool. The mood at Old Trafford, primarily due to those two games but also two wins on the road, has changed enormously. The team and the mood is unrecognisable, really. A very warm welcome from me, Harry Robinson, to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. You'll hear from Jack Tate in just a second as always. As we review that home win over the league leaders, give you an extensive youth and loan roundup, and preview Thursday night's match against Real Sociedad as the UEFA Europa League group stages kick off. In our patron bonus Q&A, we'll be talking about Jadon Sancho and Marcus Rashford's chances of going to the World Cup in November and December, the chance of Harry Maguire getting back into the team, and about VAR. Before that, let's get stuck in to the Arsenal game. And Jack, before we dive into the particulars, this fixture has underwhelmed for many years, but here was a game between two proper teams for once and two teams who played well and an entertaining game and, and thankfully one that United deservedly came out on top on. This fixture often ends up being entertaining because of the lack of quality on, in the game. It's often riddled with mistakes or just entertainment because neither team can defend, quite frankly, has been the pattern of this game for, for yeah. quite a few years, which has its own, obviously, its own uh, entertainment value that it produces. But this was entertaining in a different sense. This felt a lot closer to some of the really high-octane you know, Man City-Liverpool games that we've seen over the last four or five years, where it was entertaining purely just because it was good football and you could sense there was a really good battle going on. I think what I liked most about it as a fan watching was that it was very clear that this was a game between two teams and two managers that really weren't afraid to, to change things during the game. Not change things massively, you know, not talking about changing your entire formation, making huge amount of subs early on in, on in the game, but just two managers that were very willing to make small little tinkers to their systems. United mainly with Ericsson, Arsenal especially down the left with Martinelli really kind of targeted that in the first half in particular. And I thought it was just, it was just a really enjoyable game to watch and one that I thought at various points was swinging to United then to Arsenal and then obviously back to United and I think to be honest I think we deserve a lot of credit for the for the way that we played in that game because I think there's been a lot of plaudits going towards Arsenal for their performance which I, yeah, I sort of under, I sort of understand <laughs> but you know they, they kept the ball where they passed well but I don't really get I, you know this isn't the game it's not like De Gea this isn't like the, the game of the Emirates a few years ago remember when yeah. De Gea made like 12 saves in the same game this wasn't anything like that where we were under the cosh and sort of robbed the game Arsenal had probably two Good chances throughout the entire game. I thought we defended really well and ended up thoroughly deserved winners. Yeah, and I think that shows in the stats as well as the eye test. United had fewer shots, but a much higher proportion of those were on target. There were better quality chances. Arsenal had way more possession. They had way more attacks into the area. Their expected goals were were above United's. But in truth, United finished ruthlessly. Rashford finished two chances that, and we'll come on to him in a bit, but Chances that I think uh, a few months ago we would I would never back him to score those. His his confidence just didn't look right for it. But he finished them both very well. The first one with the aid of a deflection, but he put it in the right place originally. And the second one was was excellent as his finish against Liverpool was. Um, 
And yeah, you mentioned it there. I'm going back about a minute and a half here, yeah. but this game was defined by which manager made the right changes. And we can come back onto atmosphere in a second, but ultimately this was a, a game decided by the manager's changes in the second half. And Ten Hag deserves massive credit for that. Arteta's getting a bit of criticism for it. And rightly so. He, he, both, both of these managers are, and, and there's been a lot of comparisons between Ten Hag's United and Arteta's Arsenal recently because of the position the two clubs are in respectively. Both of these managers are coaches who talk a good game and consistently talk about uh, the process and and kind of being along a, a road towards greater things. But Arteta kind of panicked. He, he panicked too early. He didn't let his team's game plan play out. And instead he went way more attacking and Ten Hag responded to that by just setting United up for, to to be ruthless on the counter. And it worked perfectly with, with players who executed it very well as well. Yeah, something I've noticed throughout Ten Hag's time in charge of United so far in every game that we've played is just his his willingness to be very proactive with his subs and not wait until it's too late to make those changes. You know, even at the time when Ronaldo came on, for example, I think it was, what, 58 minutes when Ronaldo replaced Anthony? And at that point, you know, we hadn't conceded yet. The game, if Arsenal were definitely gaining momentum, but it wasn't as if the, the game was sort of spinning out of our control. But Ten Hag realised that Ronaldo would be a useful player to have on the pitch at that point for the, the ability that he could have to drop a bit deeper, sort of drag Arsenal's defence out, help us keep the ball stick when it went forward from our own, our own defensive third. And, you know, Ronaldo dropping deep with runners, then going in behind the likes of Rashford, Eriksen was exactly where both of our second half goals come from. So I think Ten Hag deserves a lot of credit for just his his willingness to be proactive with those subs. Yeah. I think it's something that a lot of managers don't do quite so well in 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 football in general at the moment. I think a lot of managers are sort of hesitant to to change too much unless things are going you know really really bad. Say like being four 0 down at Brentford when Ten Hag obviously made half time substitutions, yeah. which we've seen from managers as well. But I think especially when the game is is level, a lot of managers are are hesitant to make those changes because if they go badly, like like they did for Arteta when they were one goal down, you know, things can end up turning against you. But I like the fact that Ten Hag is willing to change because ultimately that game, although we were still ahead at the time that Ronaldo came on, that game was clearly going in the, in Arsenal's direction and, and that change did kind of stem that tide a little bit. And I, it's just exciting to me that, you know, we've mentioned it at the start of the season that one of the biggest things, if nothing else, that Ten Hag was going to change is that this would be a team with a clear identity. We're, we're sort of starting to see, although that identity has ended up being different to what we expected, but also a manager that in-game is much better, much more tactically astute and able to make changes on the fly better than any of our previous managers in the last few years have. Definitely, and definitely when contrasted to Ralph Ranick, who I think people just couldn't really believe how little yeah. in-game influence he had, whether it was with substitution or changes. And and in, in recent weeks, forgetting Brighton and Brentford, because I think we have to to have this conversation properly without constantly giving caveats. Uh, the players who evidence and kind of demonstrate those that ability from Ten Hag to be flexible are probably Rashford and Ericsson, most notably. So Ericsson started the game against Arsenal playing quite high up, going forward on the left wing. Sancho was cutting inside. Contrast that to the other side where Anthony was staying wide. Sancho was coming inside. Ericsson was supporting. Uh, Rashford was dropping back into number 10. That was causing some some problems in defence. Arsenal were getting number four quickly, as with the uh, with the goal that was that was disallowed. Arsenal counterattacked well after winning the ball, and it was a foul, but it, that that showed it uh, best. So Ericsson dropped deeper, and that was a good 
in-game change from Tenag. United looked a bit more solid. Later in the game, when Arsenal pushed some more players forward, you had uh, Nketiah came on, uh, Fabio Vieira and Emil Smith-Rowe. Fred comes on for Sancho. And again, Eriksen's role increases in the attack again. And then Rashford's now running off the shoulder of the defence as and Rashford's role changed when Ronaldo came on, as it did against Liverpool as well. The, those, those two players in particular showed just how many phases of the game's there have been against Liverpool and Arsenal because their roles have changed twice within the game. They've had three different separate uh, different roles and that's that's a real credit not only to Ten Hag but also to those two players who have been flexible and and successful when they've been asked to do something different. Yeah, I mean Eriksen, to start with him, yeah. I don't think any <laughs> of us ever expected Eriksen to play, play such a key role as he has to start the season. I certainly expected yeah. him to be much more. I thought he would start occasionally and especially in games when we were going to play teams that were going to sit back against us. I thought Ericsson would be important as someone who can play those sort of progressive, incisive passes better than any yeah, of our current we, midfielders. Sorry to butt in, but if we go back to when we discussed his quality after he signed, we saw him as kind of a uh, an alternative to Fernandez in those games yeah. where you needed a bit a bit more quality uh, on the ball rather than... A bit more subtlety. Yeah, a bit more subtle quality. I think is exactly how you described it at the time. But he's not been that. He's been so, so much more. And, and to be honest, it's a it's a profile that I don't think you see all that often in the Premier League of, of a of a true sort of deep lying playmaker, which is effectively what Ericsson has been for United at times this season. You know, it's something yeah. that's very common in I don't I don't want to say leagues that are, are less physical, less intense, because I don't think that's necessarily true, but especially in this sort of Italy, France, Spain, where players do tend to have a little bit more time on the ball. And, you know, you've, you've seen the likes of Thiago when he was at Barcelona, Verratti at PSG, Modric at Real Madrid, Kroos at Real Madrid, you know, players like that who have sort of made a career out of this. And it's not really a profile you see very often in the Premier League. And it obviously didn't work in the first couple of games against Brighton and Brentford. We saw the downside of it. But since then, Ericsson's been fantastic. And the, I mean, the difference that it makes for our entire team, but especially Bruno, is is massive. I mean, you only have to look at the first goal in particular, which I want to talk yeah. more about later, by the way, because that was a phenomenal team move. But just in terms of Ericsson's role, so often when when we seem to be hitting a bit of a brick wall, brick wall in terms of creating, Fernandez is then forced to drop deep as sort of the main creative force in the team. But that isn't where where Fernandez is at, is at its best, because from there he's he's then faced with so many defenders between him and wherever he was yeah. trying to get to, and then ends up being a fifty yard aerial pass that has to be so, so, so precise to work. And, and he has it in him. He does pull it off occasionally, but it's it's so inefficient and it breaks down so many attacks. So enabling Fernandez to stay much higher up the pitch in areas where he's likely to be able to have a little bit more space and also where it requires much simpler passes to put players into good positions, like for, for Rashford's goal, that is such a huge effect on Fernandez because Ericsson can be the one to pick the ball up from deep, find Fernandez in those pockets of space that he's very good at finding and then instead of having, you know, having to take seven, eight players out of the game, yeah. Fernandez with one pass, he only has to take out maybe one or two. As he did for the first goal and as Rashford did as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Rashford, I mean, Rashford's always one of his, one of his big pluses for United has been his, his flexibility, right? The ability to play on the left and up front. And I think to some degree, it's been almost a downfall at times, even though it's been such a, a plus for a manager to have at his disposal. It's also been Rashford's downfall a little bit that we've never sort of figured out exactly where he's at his best. I have always thought Rashford was at his best on the left, to be fair. But after the game, I heard Gary Neville saying that he apparently has asked Ten Hag at the start of the season, play me up front. Ten Hag has obviously responded, backed him for a few games now in a row ahead of Ronaldo. And, and Rashford's repaid that faith, even against Leicester. 
when he obviously didn't score, I thought he was very, very good in that game. When we mentioned it last week, that the way he was able to to be that sort of link presence up front and sort of string our attacks together was was very, very good. And even in the first half against Arsenal before his goals, I still thought his presence up front was a real positive. For I think us. it's and, you know showing. He's regained a lot of composure Definitely, in yeah. the important moments, which I think he was Yeah, lacked. that, but I think it's going underestimated just how important he's been. And I, I, I don't think you can underestimate the, the impact of that flexibility. And sometimes in football, you get these culmination of events that just seem to work in the favour of a certain player. And you're right, Rashford's flexibility has been his downfall in the past because there's been a, a many years long debate over whether he should be played as a number nine or as a striker or whether he should be played on the right wing or the left wing or a number 10 even which he did when he was younger but now with the injury to Martial with the failure to bring in a striker in the transfer window with the the fact Ronaldo is out of favour and rightly so things have just come together in a way that means Rashford's flexibility is a massive boon to himself and to Ten Hag and I, I think it's I'm really impressed with how he's managed to change roles and responsibilities during a game. I think, and I think he's still getting a lot of stick for, I think there's a hangover from how poor he was last season in supporters' minds and pundits as well, I, I would assume. And so the mistakes he is making are still highlighted massively, but overall he's had a brilliant start to the season. Yeah, I, I think it's good to, to talk about this too, because Obviously, the focus has been on the goals, especially given that they've come against Arsenal and Liverpool. But it's not just that. You know, we, we talked about it after the Leicester game. We should talk about it again now. Just his all-around game seems to have improved so much. He, I think what's always frustrated me up front about Rashford is that obviously he's not the biggest sort of physical presence up there. That's never going to be his game, and that's fine. You know, he's not going to be the kind of striker who's backing into, into defenders, winning loads of aerial duels, that, and, that, and that's okay. But I think what's always frustrated me is that in games and in situations where there isn't necessarily space to run in behind, I've always thought that Rashford needs to do better at being a, a better presence to receive the ball and whether he's turning, laying it back, playing it out to the wide men. I've always thought he needs to be a better option as sort of, not even a, not even a focal point, he doesn't need to be that involved, but just sort of the furthest forward point of our attack to allow us to then get runners going beyond him or give better options to the midfielders to play those forward passes. And I've always thought that's what Rashford sort of lacked as that front man. And I think that's what he's added to his game a lot in the last few weeks. And whether that's just down to him, you know, sort of getting used to playing there more, whether it's down to confidence, whether it's Ten Hag and the coaching staff helping him improve in that regard, it's probably some combination of all of them as these things normally are. But it's made a big difference to our team because it's just given us that extra option when we have the ball in midfield or even in defence. You know, there were times when Martinez was playing the ball through, forward to Rashford through almost two lines of defence. When have we ever really seen a United centre-back being able to play a ball into Rashford? It happened occasionally with Ronaldo because Ronaldo is quite good at coming deep. But even even then, that isn't really the areas where you want Ronaldo on the, really on the pitch. So when Rashford plays up front, I, I can't really remember ever him offering an option for a centre-back to play one pass straight into his feet. Yeah. Like that is a huge difference in how he's ever played the centre-forward position before. And it's, and it's I think we spoke about this uh, in one of the ep- two episodes last week, but it's obviously helping Bruno as well because Rashford's dropping into that number 10 role. Bruno goes ahead and uh, I can't remember, against Southampton it was where, where Bruno scored, wasn't it? Bruno scored Southampton. Yeah, he was at the end of a, a move and that I think was partly because Rashford was dropping back into number 10. In terms of more general themes to the game, I think it was interesting how I mean, first of all, Ten Hag highlighted uh, after a few things about uh, having composure on the ball, lots of switches of play, 
uh, the high pressure to keep them further away from the goal were the things he mentioned to Sky after, but also just the attitude of the team. And I think the attitude is, and this is a, a hardly original point, but the attitude is is defined by the defence. And we've said this several times over the last few weeks since the Liverpool game. That back four, just th- the way that they defend is rubbing off on the rest of the team, I think. And we saw Sancho being pretty disciplined in helping Malassia. McTominay had another very good game. Rashford was quite disciplined in how he helped. Uh, Anthony offered some support as well. It's the whole team is, and maybe it's not down to attitude. Maybe it's just being told exactly what to do. And that's having an effect. I, I think attitude is, is a big part of it to be honest. I think it's a combination of, of attitude, but also play styles to some degree. This, this might sound a little bit odd, but there are, there are certain players who just by their, their play style, they feel like they're playing the game more intensely mm-hmm. than others. And I, and even someone as good as say like Van Dyke, like Van Dyke doesn't look intense when he plays. He's just obviously very good. And I think like Harry Maguire, I'd put in the same sort of category, obviously nowhere near as good as Van Dyke, but Maguire's play style, it's not, it, it doesn't come across as intense. And even Lindelof as well, to a slightly lesser degree. Martinez and Malassia in particular, and Dallow, I'd put in this category as well. They're all very scrappy, intense players, you know, where yeah. not everything isn't always very, it's not always very polished. It's not very pristine, but everything just feels very, very intense. It's like, it's that attitude of almost like the underdog mentality, you know, where it's like, you're better than me, you're bigger than me, but I'm going to scrap and I'm going to fight for every single ball. And I'm not saying that the Martinez and Malassia necessarily do fight for the ball stronger than, than Shaw and Maguire do. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's just their style is such that it, it appears that way and they have, the way they react to it definitely has that mentality behind it. And I think that does rub off on all the, all the other players. Like we mentioned after, I think the Southampton game, no, I've never seen a United defence ever yeah. celebrate blocks, clearances, tackles like this like this group do. And to be honest, I, I love that because it, it just shows that level of engagement and pride that they're taking in the, the defensive work that they're doing. And the this turnaround for me was massively, massively driven by that defence, finding that partnership, getting that attitude right. You know, really that first 10 minutes of the Liverpool game, which all started from Darlo, you know, yeah. smashing into Luis Diaz, putting in like a 50-yard header from the kickoff. Like that, the tone that they have all set has so clearly rubbed off on all the players. Because it's worth remembering that the back four is pretty much all new. We obviously had Varane and Dallow at the club last season, but neither of them played very often. Everyone else, but really from them forward until this game, we obviously had Anthony. Everyone there is the same, Ericsson yeah. as well. But the likes of, you know, McTominay, Sancho, Rashford, Ilanga, whether if he was playing Martial, if he was playing Ronaldo, if he was playing, these are all the same players. Fernandez as well, Fred. Like, these are all the same players that we've questioned for two or three years, whether they have, you know, ultimately in their, do they have the right mental framework? Do they have the right mentality to, to succeed at this level? And do they have the ability to really put in a shift when it comes down to it, when things start going wrong and when, when the going gets tough, to use that yeah. old phrase? Like these are all those exact same players. It's, it's the back four that has changed. It's the back four that is driving that change throughout this entire team. Yeah, it's definitely rubbing off. And the other impact is, is on the atmosphere at Old Trafford. It was great against Liverpool. It was great against Arsenal, but there has been for the last kind of 11 months, and I spoke about this after the Brighton game, that, and, and uh, you were kind of alluding to it there when Dallow very early on in the Liverpool game set the tone. And that set the tone for, for the atmosphere at Old Trafford as well. There was in the Brighton game within 10 minutes groans, at, at, even at new signings. And, and there is a, a, we said it multiple times on the precipice as a club and as a support. But with these wins, particularly against Liverpool and Arsenal under their belt and hopefully several more to come over the next 
four to eight weeks with I think 15 to 18 games played in in that short space of time. The more of these wins there are, the more trust the supporters will have in players. And I think that trust has already been embedded in in players like Malassia and, and uh, Ericsson and Martinez. There are no groans when they make a mistake now. There's there's support for them to keep going. And they've done that very quickly in the in the way they, they play and, and how good they've been. But that will have a genuine impact on on the performances going forward because we've spoken about it before that there's a you can you can get caught in a very vicious cycle in a game in in a home game especially the intense ones but also when for example when you when say we're hosting I don't know it's taking the last two that were played away but Southampton and Leicester say we're hosting one of those two teams who are either not in good form themselves or are a lesser quality team and a team that United supposedly should beat they're the games where if things don't go well for the first half an hour and, and it's looking really hard to break the team down you need the support of the crowd to uh, get you over the line in that and these performances and the the style of play as you've referred to is building that level of trust that will generate that support throughout the season and the key of of course is it has to keep going pretty consistently but I think these it's results it's all about and, it's building credit in the bank right like that, that's what all these exactly and these doing. these have built them yeah and the more that happens the more credit you have but I think already there is that trust and and support particularly for, for Martinez, I think, but uh, also Malassia and Eriksson. It's just whether that will rub off on, can Rashford get that level of support? Can Sancho, uh, can Bruno, he probably has it, can McTominay? I mean, we probably, we should talk about McTominay and Anthony before we wrap up on, on reviewing the Arsenal game. Well, just, just quickly before you, before you get onto that, the other thing that sort of building up this credit in the bank does is it gives players, you mentioned, likes to say McTominay, who I think is one who very often can quickly sort of get on the wrong side of fans. I, they, that credit in the bank doesn't just go to the players that have sort of created this change. It spreads everywhere, the first thing, but also that's where the signings that we've made will make a huge difference as well. Because whereas before, someone like a McTominay or a Fred, who, again, I think the two of them have often been heralded as sort of like the the signal of where United have gone wrong, you know, having these two in midfield. Like in the past, I've had no alternative to, but to play them. And so it's sort of even unfair on them to put them in when you know what their limitations are, given the form that we're in. You, you sort of know they're going to go out there and be the ones that are the target of a lot of frustration and, and abuse at times from the crowd. But we don't have to play like that now. You know, we've got options in midfield suddenly that we didn't have before. And that goes all around the pitch and so many other positions. Our depth looks so much better. So if McTominay is having a bad game or is, it, or is in bad form, you can play Casemiro there. You, know, yeah. you could even put Martinez in midfield. You can bring in Fred to take the heat off McTominay. Like though, that is where this the the way that we've added to the squad over the summer, the process, like we mentioned, not being great, but we have added key depth in some areas where we really needed it that will help take the heat off some players if they are in bad form. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the atmosphere just in general on Sunday was brilliant. I think there was, I was explaining this to you before that there's in terms of how the atmosphere has changed from the start of the season and last season to now, even before the game, you asking out of interest about whether whether that's only after the game or before. And it is before. There's a bit more hope and excitement, but I also think there's a bit of trust in in what's going on with Ten Hag. And he has so much credit at the moment that certainly from my perspective, it, I go into a game like this thinking, if United lose, but play well, I, I, I won't mind at the moment because I, it, it very much feels like we're in the middle of that process. And Ten Hag's referring to it all the time and that will help him in terms of keeping expectations low as well. Um, but yeah, the atmosphere was brilliant. Well, I, the, I think the, it's helped in some ways how... Obviously, how things have played out since the Brentford game, because even up to that point, Ten Hag wasn't, and rightly so, wasn't really the the target for our frustration. It was yeah. the Glazers and the executives in the club. But it's also now what we've seen on 
off the pitch, even though we've made a couple of signings, like the the way that we've gone about them has shown that nothing has really changed behind the scenes, but so much has changed on the pitch. And so it's very clear that A, the problems before weren't really on Ten Hag, but the way we've turned it around is down to him. Yeah. Obviously the players as well, but a lot of that credit has to go to Ten Hag. So I think he has come out of this first six six weeks or so of the season looking very, very good as United manager. And has been, I mean, he, he's built up such a great sort of reputation already among the fan base. We should finish on Anthony. Great finish for the first goal. Lovely first goal overall. And uh, celebrating by kissing the badge on his <laughs> chest after about 72 hours as a United player, which, yeah, he, he does seem just buzzing to be here. And I was absolutely buzzing for it. The celebrations for that goal were just just brilliant, uh, as they were for, for the second and after the game as well. And just on that note, there was a Roy Keane was obviously on Sky uh, it, for the, the British coverage of the game and he was serenaded for I don't know a good 20 minutes after full time and in, in typical <laughs> in typical Roy Keane fashion was most other players would be kind of waving and waving to the crowd maybe to try to shut him up and Roy just stood there for about 15 minutes refusing to acknowledge it because he was embarrassed and then eventually gave a little wave as a, as a thank you but, but back to Anthony Great first time uh, in a United shirt for him. Yeah, really good. I, I thought his performance before that was okay. I thought he showed some glimpses of, of really what he can do. Just the, the different profile, I think, is is what we're going to benefit from more than anything else. He, he stayed so much higher and wider than most wingers that United have. Also showed so much ability, so much more ability with the, when he gets the ball to his feet than, say, Alanga, who I guess is now probably going to be sort of the, the, the rotation player on the right side. I think him and Dallow still have a way to go, obviously, to kind of develop their understanding. But he had some really nice touches. I mean, took the goal so well. Like that is, and it looks like a really easy finish, but first time running onto that, that it's not as easy as it looked. And I mean, yeah, the, it couldn't have gone more perfectly for him. I thought Ten Hag took him out of the game at, at kind of the right time as well, to be fair. But I'm excited to see him get more understanding because already you can see, I think him and Rashford have a lot of potential together in their partnership, even outside of the goal. I thought they were a few a few glimpses of, of what they might be able to, to produce together. So, you know, overall, I thought his performance was okay. It wasn't, amazing but I mean the perfect start in terms of getting that goal and I think that would just give him a massive boost and obviously a, the adoration of the fans he'll get to no end at this point I, I also wanted to to mention before we go on to other stuff just I don't know if you've watched back Harry the, the sort of long build up to the first goal it's yeah well not not intensely but I remember the time it being brilliant the fact it was played on we're going to speak about VR in the Patreon Q&A but the, the advantage that was played was excellent and the fact that the, the team carried on despite the fact Bruno had been fouled and was taken down but yeah the whole build up you can yeah. describe it better but, than e- but even even way before that so I, I went back and rewatched the game and I mean it's, it's honestly kind of I didn't actually remember I remembered this passage of play but I didn't realise that it led up to the goal I, so basically we have a throw in in the right back position in our defensive third Dallow throws it into to Fernandez he's under pressure and he puts a good ball out to Malassia on the other side eventually the ball we, we cycle it forward to Sancho it comes out backwards to Anthony back to Dallow and eventually we go all the way back to De Gea Arsenal you know, defend quite well to be fair it was when do you remember when Anthony sort of did a few tricks in the corner and Zinchenko just kind of stood there and he actually didn't get anywhere and ended up passing that to Dallow it yeah. was in that passage of play and the Arsenal fans were sort of, were sort of celebrating that Anthony and yeah, hadn't yeah. gone anywhere yeah, we then went back that. to De Gea the ball eventually comes out to Malassia and that's that's when it goes into Ericsson and then plays obviously that great pass into Fernandes but it was like a 19 pass move every single United player touched the ball 
in that minute or so in the lead up to the goal. And just the way, even even though in the first sort of 40, 45 seconds or so of that move, we didn't really make great inroads towards Arsenal's goal. Just again, the, the speed that we're moving the ball is so much faster than we've seen normally, even in structured attacks, not just when we're on the counter-attack. That to me is still the biggest difference on the ball from what I've seen last year compared to last year. We're obviously not playing out from the back a whole lot at the moment, which is fine. I think that's just part of Ten Hag obviously adapting to what we are able to do at the moment after the first couple of games. But I think consistently in all these games, there are times when we're moving the ball just at a tempo that I haven't seen us play with in the last couple of years. And I think that to me is the clearest difference in possession from what we've seen in the previous couple of years. Yeah. What you said there just at the end reminded me that the the whole big task for Ten Hag is how you, whether this carries on, on, based on the assumption that this decent form carries on, even if there are a few defeats and draws along the way, which there obviously will be. Yeah, definitely the the task be. is how do you go about converting this team from similar, uh, slightly improved version of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's United, I think. How do you do the task that Ole failed at, which is changing his team from it was just so good on the counter-attack with some other qualities yeah. into a properly dominant uh, title-challenging team. And that we said that was a big task when he came in. I think it also shows just how bad that whole succession went. The fact that Ten Hag is kind of having to re-establish those qualities that Solskjaer first established in 2019, three years later. And he's probably going to have to do this all season before he sets up the team to go the next step, which shows how, how just how much we ballsed everything up. But that's a negative way to end. And, and, I, and I think also... I think also not only how do you get the results better to a point where, you know, we can play and be play like a top team, but also how does Ten Hag get us playing in his way? You know, maybe he will just accept that adapting that maybe this United team will never be able to play the way that he sort of, I guess, ideally wants us to. But I think that will eventually be something that he wants to do. I think he, we, he still probably sees us being a team that will play out from the back, that will press high yeah, up just the pitch. Takes, it requires some new signings. Requires new signings, requires time. It's like, at what point does he view us able to sort of start to make that transition? You yeah. know, we mentioned, I think after the Brentford game, that at some point he was going to have to be pragmatic. He was just going to have to do things that can get us some results in the short term. He's obviously started doing that. But I think by the same token, at some point he is going to want to make that shift towards being a team that plays in his ideal vision. And when and how he tries to do that, I think is also going to be a big challenge and interesting for us to watch throughout the season. Time for a youth and loan roundup and starting with the United under-21s team who headed to Liverpool on Saturday for a 2-2 draw. Uh, the home side Liverpool went in front through Kane before Isaac Cantonara and Charlie McNeil scored in quick succession soon after half-time. Stewart, a regular foe of United's at this level, equalised shortly after. And the under-21s next game is at home to Leicester on Friday at 7pm. The under-18s lost 2-0 in our opening under-18 Premier League Cup game away at Aston Villa. Their next match is back in the league against Sunderland at 12.30 on Saturday. And uh, focusing on the low knees, Ethan Laird had a decent week with QPR, actually scoring his first goal for the club from right back in a 3-1 midweek win over Hull City. He also played at the weekend in a 1-0 defeat away at Swansea. He's getting plenty of game time and speaking to a couple of QPR fans, I know some, some good reviews from them as well, which is to be expected because he's a quality player. On the other side of the fence, 
left-back Alvaro Fernandez, the 19-year-old, returned to action for Preston North End after a two-week absence through injury. He played off the bench in a victory at Coventry and a defeat at home to Birmingham. There were a few late loan moves secured for several players on deadline day. We spoke very briefly about Hannibal to Birmingham. We mentioned that last week. Dave Jong has made a permanent move there and Hannibal has made two appearances, 34 minutes in total off the bench already. You'd hope he will start getting some starts soon. Ahmad has gone to Sunderland and Ethan Galbraith to Salford City. Galbraith made his debut against Crawley off the bench in a 2-2 draw at the weekend. Jack, Thursday night, this mad fixture run is really starting to click into gear now and it's Real Sociedad. Uh, the team that we played not so long ago in the Europa League knockout stages, can't remember exactly what round it is. I don't know how much they've changed since then. They've obviously sold their star player Alexander Isak to Newcastle for very big money, but quite late in the window. In terms of the changes I do know, their team's still majority made up of players from their very successful Zubieta Academy. Adnan Yanazai's left since since we last played them, but David Silver is still there. Emmanuel, the manager, is still there. And they were naive against Solskjaer's United last time. They opened up and we killed them on the counter-attack. You'd expect it definitely won't be the same again, but this should be a victory for United at home to start the Europa League stages off. And if it is, that will be very useful with trips to, to Moldova and Cyprus uh, to come. And I think as we spoke about after the draw, it'd be great if we can rest some players for those trips and, and leave them at home. Yeah, I think this is going to be the start of a really crazy few months for you, for, not just for United, but for all the, the English teams that are playing in Europe this season. So I think it's going to now the challenge sort of shifts again. We mentioned it's already shifted a couple of times. It's going to shift again now to how do you manage the rotation? We've obviously named four, well, three unchanged lineups in a row. This one had Anthony come in. But how do, how do we now deal with rotation? How do we deal with making sure that we are able to play to the standard that we've set in those last four games with the players that, you know, a couple of them in particular, Maguire and Shaw, that have been, I guess, sort of targeted as potentially part of the problem of why we were playing so badly to start the season so it's going to be an interesting new new sort of challenge for Ten Hag. I think on Sociedad, from everything that I've I've watched, very little of them, but everything I know that their strength is, as is the case with a lot of these sort of, I guess, sort of second tier Spanish sides behind sort of Barcelona, Madrid, and the two Madrid teams is is their strength is in the midfield. You know, got a lot of very good players in there. You mentioned David Silva, also got Marino in there, Iera Mendy, the former Real Madrid player. So that is definitely yeah. where their strength is, and where I think this game, if there is a, if there is a, a sort of party United losing this game, which I think they're definitely is that is where the, the danger lies I think I'll be interested to see how strong United go in this game because yeah, that's the, the key question I think is does do Maguire and Shaw come in I've, I've got a few thoughts here but to start with I think it's it's very reductionist to say that everything that was going wrong at United was just down to Maguire and Shaw and that Martinez and Malassia coming in has fixed everything that's clearly not the case right and I know that it seems almost obvious to say that because they are the two high profile names that haven't seen basically any minutes yep. since those first two games. But that, that clearly isn't the only thing that's changed. But I do think, as we mentioned, they are players, Maguire in particular, I think that not not through a lack of effort or anything like that, just set a different tone in the team. And, and I think Shaw maybe feeds off that slightly and it maybe has a slightly similar tone to a lesser degree than Maguire does. So I do think there is obviously a risk in bringing them back in. It wouldn't surprise me personally if we see one of them come in and then one of them play at the weekend. I think putting both of them back in, it could it could just end up with United sort of falling back into that trap of of what kind of what we saw against Brighton and Brentford, just not being intense enough, not being scrappy enough. And I do think there is a bit of a risk of that. I personally would probably favour one On of them hand- coming in. Yeah, but on the other hand, this is this is not a Premier League game. 
and Europa League games at home especially are slower and you can slow the game down to the pace that you want. And I think it might make for a less entertaining and intense game but if it still results in victory then that's kind of the ideal situation and Maguire and Shaw are easily good enough players to see United to victory against Real Sociedad and we really will need them at some point so this is probably the best place to start to start getting them some minutes again I mean yeah they're going to have to be brought back into the team at some point like you said we are going to need them there's just too many games and not enough bodies without them I just don't know if I'd bring them both back at the same time I think I'd just bring Probably, I'd probably bring in Maguire for the, the Europa League game and then I'd play Shaw at the weekend with Malassia still playing against Sociedad. Interesting, yeah. The, the, the cautious approach. We must move on. We're going to go to, we're going to wrap up here and go to our bonus Patreon Q&A, where as I said at the start, we'll talk about Sancho and Rashford's chances of going to the World Cup, more about Maguire getting back into the team and about VAR as well. If you want to listen to the Patreon Q&A, you can. You can sign up for as little as a pound to 50 a week to get a Q&A at the end of every Tuesday morning show. Uh, and to find information about how to do that go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there for Jack's thoughts throughout the week you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and I'm at Harry Robinson 64 and as I say the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod P-O-D at the end there we'll be back uh, for a Friday morning show where we'll review the game against Real Sociedad and we'll preview the start of the WSL season United's first game in the WSL away at Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where there should be a decent crowd after a summer of of brilliant women's Euros fun. So we'll speak to you then. Until then, have a great few days. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.